The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. How do your core values affect your financial choices? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. And today I'm sitting down with Tiffany Alachay. She's a financial educator and a New York Times bestselling author of the book Get Good With Money. Now, the reason I asked Tiffany on to the show today is not for simple tips and tricks on how to budget. It's because so many of us worry about money, want more money, fear getting more money, have shame around money, or have that more we all think we want but resent its burden. And what I'm calling out to you is that you, me, and everyone you know has a relationship with money. Now, just imagine money were to write you a letter telling you about the relationship you have with it. What would it say to you? I imagine if you read that letter, you would wish you could change something about that relationship. Tiffany says part of the problem is that as adults, we think we should know everything there is to know about money, and we feel ashamed when we don't. And yet we were not really taught a lot about it as kids. So what she says is money's kind of like a language. No one should feel ashamed that they aren't yet fluent in a new language. All we need is awareness and education to make financial decisions that better reflect who we really are and what we say we want, which is, in essence, what we value. Here's Tiffany. I was fortunate that I learned about money in my household. My father was a CFO and an accountant. Um, he has two degrees, he has bachelor's in finance, his master's in economics. And so he really leaned into teaching financial education to my four sisters and I in kind of like the academic sense. Like, this is how you budget. This is what credit is made up of. This is how you save. This is how you open a bank account. And my mother, you know, raising five girls alongside him, she was like, here's how you apply it to real life. When we go food shopping, here's how I make decisions. When we're going clothes shopping, here's how I make choices. And so I thought that that was normal. It didn't really click until I got to college. And my college roommate actually had debt collectors calling our dorm room. Mm -hmm. And we thought it was funny because, you know, you're like 17, 18. And so they would call the dorm room and we would put on all these funny voices to like pretend she wasn't home. And so I was telling my dad one day, relaying the story of like, oh, the college roommate you know, the debt collectors call, but don't worry, we put on these funny voices. And he was like, no, that's really serious. So he started to ask me a series of questions that I was like, I don't know. So then I would ask her and she would give me information. I would share it with him. And then he would give advice through me to her. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like the first time that I realized that having access to financial education was actually not commonplace. I mean, you kind of know, but I didn't get to see it in real life. And her mother was a single mother. Her father had passed away and she was really struggling with the bill. She had two girls. And so she had opened up credit cards in her name, her daughter's name, to help with the bills because they were just suddenly left without the ability to take care of themselves. It was just kind of like this awakening of, oh, wow, the choices that some people feel like they're forced to make 
you know, for the immediate good, even though they have these long reaching effects. And it was then that I realized that I wanted to kind of share that information that was normal to me. And I became the money girl. I really had this interest where I was like, I want to take my own classes and lean into my own understanding. And it wasn't until after I graduated that I really started to lean in to helping, especially women with their finances. I became a school teacher after graduating and where I taught, it was an economically depressed neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so I was really young. The parents were young. Like, you know, I was like 22 when I was teaching, when I started teaching. And so a lot of the parents were in their 20s. So we became very friendly. And when you're that young, they used to ask to borrow money. And I would be like, well, I can't, but what I can do is when the kids are asleep at nap time, if you want to come, I can show you how to budget. I can show you how to save. And so that's how it really all started. It was like the intention of one, I love to teach because teaching to me is one of the best ways to help people live better lives. And that is my overall intention, that I want Mm -hmm. people to have access and the ability to live a better life. And through education, you can do so. And through financial education, you're empowered to do even more. I love this part of the story because you made this transition out of teaching to doing this. And I'm sure people are always really inspired by that. I think a lot of times we don't realize that we have these parts of ourselves that we can use to contribute to the world in specific ways. And there are some people who, of course, would want to be teachers and want to stay teachers in a school system. But it seems like for you you probably are also, you are also very entrepreneurial. And so there's this part of you that you're getting to express that feels, you know, natural because you've experienced it, but then allows you to have a much bigger contribution for people. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a school teacher forever and ever, but when the great recession happened and my school closed down due to lack of funding, I thought I would pivot into something totally different because actually my bachelor's is in business. Although my master's is in education, I'm still Miss Tiffany from preschool. But now instead of teaching, you know, the the fundamentals of like letters, shapes, colors, I teach the fundamentals of finance to people. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people I know in my world growing up, we didn't really talk about money. It almost didn't feel fully appropriate. Aside from some of the things that you'd hear from parents, like money doesn't grow on trees and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But from the idea of like getting taught, I look at the way you describe this, that like your dad was the one who was giving you the technical education. Your mom was giving you the applicability so you could live in the world with that education. Like that balance is so powerful. But in my experience, it wasn't so explicit. And so I had to learn my own lessons in a lot of tough ways about money, about credit cards, about what they really were, about, you know, it's like all that we need, but we don't get information about or it's left up to as much as our parents or influential adults know when we're children. And then we're just expected to show up in the world as adults and have it figured out. But most of us don't. So when I think about your background, what are some of the things that are really obvious to you first about our relationship to money before we get into the tactics? What's most obvious to me is that so many people carry around financial shame when it's not warranted because you carry around the shame as if you were taught your whole life about money and you're just throwing that knowledge out of the window or something. It's like, well... Imagine being feeling ashamed because you don't speak Mandarin. But if no one taught you, how would you know how to speak Mandarin unless you were taught Mandarin? But when it comes to money, we think that as an adult, the knowledge is just supposed to click on and then we beat ourselves up for not knowing a thing that we've never been taught. And so one of the best things you can do to help release that shame is to give a voice to it and 
to remind yourself that these are lessons that you're still learning and it's okay not to know. I akin it to treating yourself like a toddler who's learning to walk. You would never shame a toddler for falling when they're learning to walk. You would be encouraging like, yes, yes, keep going. It's okay. You fell. Try again, you know, Mm -hmm. and to do that same thing with yourself versus like shaming yourself because shame shields solutions. You cannot move forward Mm -hmm. if you're dragging that shame along with you. I love that shame shields solutions. I hadn't thought of it as like, as money is a language. It is a language that some people are fluent in, that some people are novice or at the very beginning in, that other people are somewhere in the middle, and that if we treat it like a language and learning a language, there's a lot less shame that comes with it. Because you're like, oh, I'm just starting. I've been in financial shame for long periods of time. And I think part of it was... Like you said, when you turn 18, you're just supposed to know all this. Like as soon as you're Mm -hmm. on your own, you're in college, the idea that you wouldn't know is shameful. And so then you start not talking about it or not knowing how to talk about it. And then you isolate yourself, basically. Exactly. Because I've done that. I've isolated myself because of financial shame. And then what happens is that shame loves you to be solitary. The more alone you can feel, the longer I get to stay around. You know, Mm -hmm. so instantly saying, you know what, I do have like my work best friend or my sister or my running partner or whomever that I can like candidly share what I'm afraid of. Because what you'll find, like I do this, like I did this on IG the other day where I said, put a one in the comments if you've made a financial mistake within the last year. Mm-hmm. And all you see is one, 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 one. <laughs> And then I'm like, put a one in the comments if that thing has cost $500 more than $1,000. And what you'll see, and I do that because what I want instantly for people to see is, I know you think it's just you. It's not just you. So if it's not just you, you don't have to carry this load. Like, you know, it's okay to say I've made a mistake, but what people are saying is I am a mistake. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to get rid of if we're going to move forward. And so, yeah, you're not alone. I promise you, there are doctors making the same mistakes as teachers making the same mistakes as attorneys, Mm -hmm. as as surgeons, as other financial educators. I made so many mistakes, but I don't carry that shame with me anymore. You know, I coach a lot. I always have a coach. I have a therapist. I do a lot of like talking about the things that have happened and why they've happened. And I also recognize the balance of, well, what do you want now? Do you think it's necessary for people as they're moving maybe out of debt or wanting to save a lot more than they ever have or just wanting to budget to look back and consider how they got to where they got to or why? Or is it just like, get going? I think it's a mix of both. I think that getting going and having some early success is going to be helpful. That's what I love automation for. You know, like you set up some automation when it comes to savings, you set up some automation for bills. But the issue is like water will always seek its level you will always come back to who you are. And so if you don't kind of figure out, Mm -hmm. why did I get here? How did I stay here? You will go back to that person. And so it's important sometimes to just say, I'm just going to do the thing. But, you know, once you get whatever those automations might be that you've set up or whatever that like initial work is, I do think it's important because I have a therapist. I too have, I have a financial advisor because I'm wanting to learn like, how did I get here despite having the upbringing that I had? Because I made a lot of financial mistakes despite all the knowledge I was given because I knew I didn't want to go back to that Tiffany. So if I'm wanting to do something different, she will give me tools, tips, and tricks. 
right? And I will do those things, but it's just the action. Remember, the idea goal is to learn to embody that person that you're wanting to be. So that way, Mm -hmm. I'm actually not using tools, tips, and tricks anymore. It's just who I am. And so like that is really the ideal, which is, okay, let's say you're an overspender. Definitely been there. Or you are (laughs) um, on credit cards, you know? And so the tip and trick might be, I'm going to cut up my credit card or I'm going to put it in the freezer. And that's great to start. But to embody the person, you want to be someone who uses credit cards responsibly so you don't have to freeze your credit card and cut it up. You know that you put something on it and you pay it off every month. Now that takes time, but in the meantime, by all means, put your credit card in the freezer. We're taking a quick break. We'll be right back with Tiffany Alishay. She's going to help us figure out how to better reflect our values through our financial choices. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back with Tiffany Alishay, New York Times bestselling author of Get Good With Money. What are the steps that you've taken? And I also want to call out, like, I love hearing that you as the financial educator, as the expert, also make mistakes. I have a lot of reverence for people who are doing the work and bringing people along with the work, whatever their work is, and being honest about the fact that they're still learning the work. Mm -hmm. Like you are an educator and still a student of yourself and of Mm -hmm. money. And I think that's a really vulnerable, but probably one of the most powerful positions to be in is doing that and owning kind of all the pieces of it. When you think about embodying versus like all those tips and tricks we've all heard of, how do we get there? Well, first, I think first and foremost, what I learned to do is I had to identify what my core values were because that's the driver. Your core value is the why before the why before the why before the why. So you might say something like, I want to buy a house cash. Why? Because I don't want to have to worry about a mortgage. Why? Because what if I can't afford the mortgage? Well, why does that scare you? Because I don't want to be unhoused. And when I was younger, we worried about like, you know, not having enough, a safe place to live. Okay. Why? Because not having a safe place to live means I'm unsafe. So a core value for me 
is safety and security because of things that have happened. So now I can navigate like, okay, because if I don't listen to that core value and adhere to what it needs, I will go back to that Tiffany because it's okay to make financial choices that are less financial and more aligned. So I'll give an example. I live in my house now and I was fortunate in that it was a foreclosure. I was able to pay for it cash because it was like one third of what it would have been. Mm -hmm. But I recently just bought a condo that was not a foreclosure and it was a lot of money, but I wanted to pay for it cash. And my financial advisor, and I know this, she said, Tiffany, financially speaking, it would be wiser for you to get a mortgage so you can have that lump sum of money to put into the market and to invest it so it can grow. And I know that, but core value, Tiffany says, I still am struggling with feeling safe and secure. And because it's a condo, there's an association fee. And then of course your tax. So the carrying cost of the condo is $2,000 a month. And then on top of that, I'm just guesstimating that a mortgage might have been another 2000 So I would have gone from where I live now, where the carrying cost is now $1,000, to literally quadrupling that to 4000 And not that I can't afford $4,000 a month, but I still struggle with the, I need to be safe, I need to be secure. And the thing is, I put a lot of money into the market because the business does really well. After 15 years, I live off about 10% of what I make. I already invest a ton. If I didn't want to work anymore, I don't have to work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I can make a choice that does not necessarily align with a purely financially wise choice, but I need to be, I need to have peace Mm -hmm. because I lost my first condo when I was in my twenties to foreclosure. Yeah. So I can have peace and say, no one can come take this from you. And so that was more important to me than making a little extra money. But do you see what I mean? Yeah. And so that's really the work. It's like creating a financial life for yourself where it can align with your core values. And it doesn't detract from the fact that like, I still make good financial choices and you know, all in all, I'm in a good place. To me, that's really the work. It's really not about the money. It's about figuring out your core values and aligning your money to that so you can really begin to embody who you want to be and using your money as a tool to help do so. I'm thinking about my own example. I'm like, okay, if I want to buy a house in upstate New York, why do I want to do that? Well, because I want space from the city I live in, which is very busy and can be intense. Well, why do you want space? Well, because I really like the feeling of waking up in the morning or spending a day somewhere where I'm not surrounded by a bunch of people and it's quiet. I'm like, okay, well, why do I want that? Because inner peace is so important to me. That's it. Yeah. That's core value for you is peace. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, but you see, like, so now when you're making choices, you're making those choices based upon your core values, whether you recognize it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, you might make some wild and crazy decision and it's like, no, that's because your core value is screaming like, look, we're going to get it one way or the other. So you could either work with us or we will be working behind the scenes either way. You know, so for folks listening, you might have correct. (laughs) You might have a core value, for example, like I love to travel because I love adventure. That's a core value for me. Giving service is a core Mm -hmm. value for me. It's the reason why my business, the Budget Nista, navigates in the way that it does. Like I do a lot of free stuff. I have something called my Live Richer Challenges that I do every year for free because service, and it's the reason why I became a school teacher. I did not know at the time. I just was like, I want to teach even though I had this degree in business, because a core value for me is service. So for me, safety and security, service, 
Yes, you adventure. These are some Got of my it. core values. And so now if I want to embody my financial choices, I look at my core values and I make choices based upon that and blend the two. So starting there is critical, core values. I love that. So once we start, like, you know, I'm someone who's never been good at a budget. Like you get $300 for this and $100 for that and however much for everything. And I, I'll say like, it's probably partially because I like to have a little bit of wiggle room and I'm not good with feeling super trapped. So mm. when we get into this conversation of budget and how you support people in living within their means and saving money, and I know you've helped over 2 million women save more than $350 million and pay off over 200 million in debt. Like, how do we think about budgets? How do we make budgets work for each of us individually? So one thing I learned from my therapist is that I'll say a thing and she says, can we reframe? So I want you to practice reframing <laughs> because first you think to yourself, budget restrictive plan. And I say, let's reframe. Your budget is <laughs> yes. your say yes plan, right? I want you to think about your budget, like your guardian, your mom, your dad growing up. And you're like, mom, can I go outside? And what would she say right after school? Yes. After you finish your homework, you know, mom, right. can I have dessert? Yes. If you eat dinner, you know, mom, can or I, just you know, no. <laughs> sometimes. Right. Or mom, can I, <laughs> you know, can I watch TV? Yes. When you clean your room. So your budget is actually, it's literally there to put parameters so you can have the things that you want within a safe parameter. So my budget actually is not there to tell mm. me no, ideally it's there to tell me if, when, after. And so I think about that when I look at my budget, I'm like, I'm like, budget, can I go to Paris? My budget might say yes. When you save this, or if you reduce that. And so my budget truly is a say yes plan. Ooh. Yes. And so that's how we start. And then, so even before we start the spreadsheets and everything else, I'm like, I like to do something called split it before I get it. And this is like, especially for people who are not real big on budgeting. And I, I write about this in my book, Get Good With Money. People love this. We call it like, yeah, the split it before you get it. That's when you have these four accounts. Cause most people have like one checking, one savings. I believe in having two checking, to save. Mm -hmm. So checking one is spending. Mm -hmm. And yeah, basically this is like where you're going to just kind of like keep your money that you're going to swipe any cash expenses and your spending, right? Checking two is your bills account. So the checking one is going to have a debit card attached. That's fine. Checking two is not because you are not going to be swiping your bill money. Those can both be at whatever big bank that you normally have. Savings one is your emergency savings account. So you want to aim to have about three months worth of your expenses in your emergency savings account, three months or more, depending on your industry and how quickly you can replace your income. My sister is an engineer. It took her a year to find her first job. She might want six months to a year's worth of savings. My mom, before she retired, was a nurse. Three months might be too much because nurses can find jobs in two days because they were in high demand then, they're in high demand now, but three months is still good. Correct. <laughs> So it depends on your industry. Yep. So that savings account one, savings account two totally. are your long-term goals. Are you saving for a home, maybe for a car? Maybe you're starting to save so you can start investing and join the market. So those are the four. And what you're going to do is you're going to go to HR and payroll and say, I want you to split my money before I get my money. Because I'm not a big company and we're able to split four ways. Mm -hmm. And if they're not able to split four ways, they're usually able to split two ways. And then you can have each of the other accounts make the transfers automatically for you to the other pairing account. So you can have the money land in savings and then some of the other money will automatically transfer to savings the day after. And so what's so great about it is that you can budget without budgeting because the money lands into these four accounts 
And you know that the money that's accessible via your debit card is your spending money anyway. And when it's done, you're done. And that's what I have to navigate with, knowing that my bills are paid and my savings is saved. So that is a great way to budget without budgeting. And as you get comfortable with that and you begin to embody someone who lives in that space, then if you want to get more particular about specific amounts and making more in-depth choices with your finances, you can do that. But get comfortable with the split it before you get it for a few months, you know, before whipping out a spreadsheet. I love that model. It's interesting. I know you you have brown ambition. You work with women. What do you notice in your experience, why choose women to work with and people of color to work with when it comes to the work you're doing? Truthfully, in the beginning, I was like, I help everybody. But the analytics were like, everyone is not listening. <laughs> That's really what it came down to, honestly, in the beginning. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you were able to go. The audience is this. Yes. And then, then I made it like, okay. That's because there was a thirst for women and especially women of color to find financial education in a way that spoke to how they navigated the world. Because people just navigate the world differently. There's certain nuances, certain jokes you can make, certain things you can say that you're like, yes, she is like, so for example, I am a child of immigrants, right? And Mm -hmm. so both of my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. So when I say something like, my parents give money back home. If you are a child of immigrants or you're an immigrant yourself, you know exactly what I mean. You know that mm-hmm. part of one of the reasons that people came to America for this larger dream is to make sure that their family back home can be cared for and looked after with the money that you make here. And so even when I was looking for a financial advisor, I looked for someone who understood that because you can't tell me well, Tiffany, it's not in the budget to help your Uncle Sam in Nigeria. It's like, I can't take that off the table. You can tell me to take cable Mm -hmm. off the table, but if I don't, there's no way they're going to be able to manage for themselves. And so there are nuances that were necessary. And so that's why really initially it was just because, you know, the analytics said that women were listening, especially women of color. And now more than ever, I just know that like, There's so many other women, thankfully, in the space. But back then there was like nobody. But I just know that it's just necessary. And also, too, we live in the United States, at least there's still such a gap in access to knowledge in a way that makes sense to folks. And so I'm trying to close that gap for this audience in particular. If I want people to really get it, I'm just here to translate in a way that culturally connects So that's why, because it's an audience, one, that I'm a part of, two, it's an audience that often, that for so long has been left out of the conversation. And three, I think I'm just uniquely qualified to connect with that audience since it's one that I've been a part of my whole life. Of course. Yeah. It's like you, you target towards one group, but you know that what you're sharing is universal. I think literacy financially for women and for people of color is really valuable. I think that it's an area we don't necessarily have a whole lot of history in unless we're fortunate enough to have had someone in our family, you know, talking about this, talking about budgeting, but even beyond that, building wealth. Like, what does that really look like? How do we do that? So I appreciate that. I also think, you know, we've got to be financially literate and independent and understand what's happening with our money in a way that I think we aren't necessarily all set up to do. And what I wanted to ask you is I can recall it was, I don't know, six years ago, 2017, I experienced like the toughest financial setback I've ever had. I messed up my taxes and I owed way more than Mm. I thought I was going to owe. And I remember going, holy, 
Like, how am I going to do this? I was devastated. It was part of like all these other things happening in my life. And so it felt like the world is crashing down around me. And I think a lot of us have been there in some way or another. What would you say? What's your message to people who are in this place of feeling like they have been financially set back in a way that maybe they won't recover from? I can remember being that too. Like I owed like $300,000. This is student loans, my mortgage, because I was losing my condo to foreclosure and credit card debt. And I lost my job and I moved back home. I was 29 turning 30 and ended up having to move back home and spent my 30th birthday in my middle school bed. And I just remember thinking, I am a loser. Like what the hell, mm. Tiffany? You had all the advantages, all the knowledge, all this access. And you owe all this money. You have no money like left over and you're going to lose this condo. Your credit is going to be destroyed. Like, and now you're home in your middle school bed on your 30th birthday. I just remember just feeling so distraught and thinking that it didn't get worse than this. Of course it can get worse. Cause the fact is I was in a bed in a safe house, which that, you know, that's just not, that's not right. so for everyone. You know, but at the time it just seemed right. like the worst. And it was maybe like six months of just like darkness where I just didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to see anyone. Mm -hmm. I had to really look at my situation. There's an African proverb that says fear makes the wolf bigger than it is. And what I had imagined in my head, how deep the hole I had dug myself in, although I was in a hole, it wasn't as deep as I was feeling. So once I kind of put everything down on paper, this is who you owe and this is how much and everything else, I was like, okay, I mean, it's bad, but it's not as bad as I thought, as I was imagining. Certainly it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as I was imagining. So one, I had, then I had to get it down on paper. Where do I actually currently stand? You know, that was the second thing. Then three, I had to ask for help. You know, that's critical. People don't ask for help. And there were like programs like help is going to, what might take you two years, you might have it in, in two months. You know, like therapy taught me that. I remember thinking, you mean to tell me I could have been living like this all this time if I just would have asked for help? Because sometimes we think <laughs> as a right? I'm like, I could have learned to set boundaries, all these things I've been struggling with. So now when it comes to it, like this is just in all things, I ask for help. But especially with your finances, it might be a free class. But especially my rule is you don't have to spend money with me to get help. So on thebudgetnista.com, we have this like tools and resources page that's filled with free resources because sometimes people don't know where to go. Maybe your bank doesn't have a free class or maybe your local United Way is not teaching financial education, but you can find help online. There are free tools like that. So asking for help. And then the fourth thing is like taking one small step, you know? So now, you know, here's where I stand. You know, you've asked for help and maybe help has said, you need to open a bank account. So you take that small step. You need to split it before you get it. So you go to HR and take that step tomorrow. And slowly but surely, you will dig your way out. Because I really thought I will always owe all this money. And I don't. It's been over 15 years. I've since then grown wealth. It is possible and out there, but it's just one step at a time. What will happen is in the beginning, the going is slow. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> the first five years I was like, so still broke. <laughs> and then the next five years I was like broke plus. I was like brokeish. How do you keep yourself going then while, while the going's slow? <laughs> you know what? One of the ways is to keep in connection. Like accountability partners are critical. And one of my friends, Mark, 
we were like starting our businesses at the same time and he too was broke. And I would call Mark and be like, Mark, I'm still broke. He's like, me too. I'm like, okay, good, good, good. (laughs) Because it normalized the process of like, I kept going, you know, not because I wasn't discouraged, but I was like, I'm not the only one. So I made sure I had like three or four accountability partners that I would check in with to share and lament over where I was. And they would remind me, but remember last year, Tiffany, you were late on five bills and now you're only late on one. I'm like, oh, I forgot. You're right. And so accountability partners are critical tools to help you remember where you've been, to help keep you accountable to move forward, but also to encourage you. That's what really helped me keep going. You might not be where you want to be, but you've done better than where you were. And they helped to remind me of that. I love that. I'm walking away looking at this going, okay, so what you're saying is for people who are in a challenging financial situation, it doesn't have to be total financial ruin. You don't have to have debt to feel shame around money, you know? And so it's like, Mm -hmm. this is something we can all feel and you can be trying to build wealth and still have shame or you can be wealthy and have shame. And so what I'm hearing you say is share your shame, share it with someone you can trust, define your values and figure out what's really meaningful to you. So that five whys helps you get to like your values that will align you better to where you want to put your money based on your values. And that's where the like tactic or strategy of split it before you get it comes into play, because then you actually know why you're splitting it, what you're splitting it for. And you're not just going, why do I have these four accounts? Who cares? You're going, oh, this all goes back to the value that I care about. And then in this process of either building wealth, getting out of debt, wherever you are, going from zero to something, it's deciding that you're open enough to ask for help to see what's out there that you don't know, right? So you're not an expert and that's okay. And then being patient along the way and taking the time to reflect on your progress. Yeah, that's it, really. And to be kind to yourself, honestly. That's what I hope for everyone listening. As you employ the initial tips and tricks that you really work on embodying the person you want to be and aligning your finances with your core values so you can maintain those good choices. And even when you make a choice that is is not aligned, you get back to it because you are different. You are someone who takes good care of their money, even if you make a mistake. I love that. Tiffany, I'm going to have you complete these three statements. Better humans are kind. Better work is Aligned. And a better world has. People who care. It's been so great to have you join. I mean, the cool thing for me is I get to learn as I do this work. And so I am probably like you. I love being of service and I also love learning. And so it's like I got to learn and hear you. And I also can't wait to share this because I think the number one thing you talked about that keeps us all stuck is the shame around anything. It may be finances, it may be other things, but it's like when you unlock that experience of releasing the shame by sharing with someone that you trust, you realize how much it's been holding you back in every other area. I so appreciate being able to use your work around money to also unlock what people need to understand about shame and how it keeps us from becoming the people we say we want to become. So thank you so much for your work and for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That was Tiffany Alashay, the Budget Nista. One big thing before we go, whenever I work with people on areas of their life they want to improve, whether it be finances or career or relationships, 
Oftentimes they start with a goal of something changing outside of themselves in order for that area to improve. But I think that the actual freedom and liberation and fulfillment come from changing yourself in relationship to that thing. So when I think about financial freedom, I wonder if we play with this term and change it from the, I wanna have enough wealth and riches to be able to buy whatever I want and retire early, to what if I can just liberate myself from the power money seems to have over me? What if I change so that my relationship to money changes? Listen, it doesn't mean you have to get rid of your financial goals or toss them out the window. You're allowed to have desires, that's the point of life. But wouldn't you rather feel good on your way to your financial goals than beat yourself up all the way there? That's why I think it's essential for us to really think about and consider our emotions and our beliefs about money, to challenge our negative self-talk, and then to find support from people we can trust, like advisors, financial or otherwise, supportive friends, or family members. If this conversation has you thinking about your relationship to money, your finances, and your core values, Share it with somebody else who might be looking to become a little more financially liberated and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one sentence review telling me about what you're doing to achieve your life goals through your finances. As always, you can find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdell and Rafa Fariha. Asafki Drone makes sure we sound good in the studio. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of LinkedIn Original Audio and Video. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming with me, and I'll see you next week.